0: In this podcast, we talk a lot about dividend investing and how to make more money in dividends, essentially, how to make more money. Today's special guest is going to talk to us about our relationship with money. When do we have enough? And how do we talk about money and investing with our kids? Hi, my name is Kanwal Sarai, and welcome to the Simply Investing Dividend Podcast. Our guest today is an Amazon best selling author speaker, investor, and entrepreneur. He wrote an incredible children's book, a graphic uh, novel called The Golden Quest, which has been referred to as the rich dad, poor dad meets Calvin and Hobbes. David Delisle, welcome to our podcast.
1: I'm so happy to be here. This is going to
0: be a fun, fun conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much uh, for being on our podcast today. Let's get started with the first question. Why are people referring to your book, The Golden Quest, why do they refer to it as Rich Dad, Poor Dad meets Calvin and Hobbes?
1: What's funny, so like I've got two young boys like we just we just mentioned and I was trying to figure out how do I teach these guys financial literacy because if they're like most kids and adults, they didn't want to learn, like nobody wants to talk about this stuff. And I realized kids are reading graphic novels. That's what they want to read. Like, that's what they're consuming. And so by taking all these sort of fundamental principles and ideas and putting them in a graphic novel as an adventure, it just became something that kids just easily just read, get excited about, and learn from. So it's sort of like that idea of that financial literacy, but in a format kids want to learn from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And not just kids. Like I read the I was fascinated by it. I kept going. And it was so much it was entertaining and it was nice to read as opposed to just a large volume with just text in it, right? So the pictures are great. The artwork is fantastic. And I think you mentioned on your website this book isn't just for kids. It's from 5-year-olds to 95-year-olds. <laughs> Why do you think it it would resonate
1: with such a large
0: uh age group here?
1: So actually it's I wrote it for the kids because adults are so much harder to teach and so the idea is that the kids can learn it and then teach their parents so that really is what i was hoping for it's it's really written for adults and i find if you think about about a lot of these core principles they if you can simplify it there's truth in that and if it's very difficult to explain you start going around in circles usually you're not at the core idea and the core concept so with most of these things, by getting to its essence, that's actually the, the lesson. And so that essence applies to kids as well as adults. It shouldn't be difficult. If you can't teach a kid, then the concept itself, you probably haven't simplified it yet.
0: Yeah, I absolutely believe in that 100%. Um, I talk about, I've been teaching uh, dividend investing for over 24 years, and uh, I tell people it's so easy that a nine-year-old could do it. And I had my kids when they were nine, Go through the dividend investing course, and they've been investing in dividend stocks ever since then, right? And they're much older now. Um, so, in your book, there are the the golden rules, and again, I resonated with that because we have the twelve rules of simply investing that we use to 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 pick our investments. Can you tell our share with our audience? some of the golden rules, or if not all of them, I'll leave that entirely up to you, uh, what they are, and what are you hoping the audience, uh, the reader will take away from uh, the book?
1: Yeah, so it's, I mean, there's only four rules, so I can touch on them really quickly without going into depth. And the reason I only, I came up with four is because I've been investing most of my life. Like I, I read investment books when I was 10, and I've always been a bit of a money nerd. But looking back in hindsight, I've realized a lot of it is really habits and mindset. It's not the details. So I'm sure even people in your show, like you can get really into the weeds of the mechanics and how to invest in a specific stock. But at the end of the day, you know, time, habits, how you feel about money, those have a greater impact over time. So the rules, the first rule is only buy the awesome stuff. And this concept is all rooted in money mindfulness and understanding really what's important to you and i find that's the first rule because without understanding why you even want money you're just endlessly chasing and that's what i'm hoping to break is this concept of endlessly chasing and then the next two rules they get into the basic habits so the first one is always save first same idea of like pay yourself first or set up a habit or automate your savings and that's mostly just because most of us are terrible at budgeting there's the whole thing of lifestyle inflation this ensures that the saving portion is a habit and then i talk about letting your money go to work for you and that's just teaching kids about investing itself and understanding compound growth because i think i'm sure even people in your audience once we hear some of these compound growth just stories it still blows my mind away when i hear how fast things grow and how big over time and we briefly touched on that just right now before before the the call right now and that's the thing is we that compound growth is massive and so i try to just illustrate in a way that people get behind it because i think when you fully understand that that's when money and investing becomes exciting and then the fourth rule is give and you'll have more and i really want to again get back to this mindset piece of you know scarcity that usually happens and show that they're the more you give rather than feeling scarcity you actually start feeling more and more abundance and it does come back and so i wanted to teach that to young kids as well and it's really cool because these especially these mindset pieces that might be a bit of a stretch for adults to get behind or believe little kids five-year-olds seven-year-olds they embrace it almost immediately so it's been really fun and then all those rules wrap up towards just really creating the freedom to do what you love and get back to that idea of the awesome stuff. And what is it that you truly love?
0: Yeah, that is incredible. And especially if you can start the younger you are, the better off you'll be to understand these concepts, because I was never taught any of this stuff when I was young. It wasn't covered in school either. And I had to stumble through it in life through trial and error. And I think if the kids can learn this sooner than later, they're going to be so much better off when it comes to investing, when it comes to uh, money as well. And you talked about getting to the essence of, you know, what is the golden rule? And there's a lot of noise out there. And as adults, too, we see so much noise out there. How do you I don't know if you have any suggestions for the grownups out there, how to filter out or sort of get get rid of the noise and get to the essence of what it is when it comes to investing and finances.
1: Well, again, if it's, if it's confusing, it's probably noise. Hmm. And that's what I found is, like the idea around compound growth is a great example, because that's the one where we could have the most information, questions, people can really dive into it. But at the end of the day, understanding compound growth and that concept which you can just tell in stories and teach to a five-year-old and just see how things grow and how big and powerful that is that's the lesson how to invest i mean that's that's a little bit simpler i mean there's if you want to invest and you want to stock pick and do your do your own things there's a lot of information out there and you can do that but the reality is is most people that invest they don't actually even understand these mechanics and they don't need to if they've got a financial advisor and they're investing their money and they're in the habit of you know this percentage of everything that comes in is invested that's going to actually set them up for financial success and all these other things i mean i love interest rates and macroeconomic economics and watching trends and all these things because I'm a money nerd. But you don't actually need that stuff. And that's what scares people away from investing. They feel like they need to know all of these things and they simply don't. And so that's what I try to teach people is that habit of investing is more important than the how. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I like what you said there. If it's complicated if, or if it's confusing, it's probably just noise and you need to get... Mm-hmm. So that's, that's incredible. Now you touched on something a little earlier when we were going through the golden rules and you said, focus on the awesome stuff. So what is the awesome stuff? What are you talking about?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is the essence of, you know, the movement I'm trying to create and the big mindset shift, because what I've found is, and this happens at all ages, all we've been taught typically is more so it doesn't matter what we achieve we're always looking to the next thing and i see this all the time where people are like if i only had you know a hundred thousand dollars and then they have that and then they're like well if i only had a million dollars i only had a house and then it's well if i only had a house that had two cars you know that's right car- and then it's three car- cars <laughs> there's no end and if there's no end then we're constantly not only are we constantly chasing we're constantly in this mindset of lack and not having what we really want so we're pursuing happiness that we can never achieve so this idea of the awesome stuff is trying to break that endless chase and get right down to the fundamentals of what really makes you happy and this again is the noise because we're being told what we should like what would make us happy especially for gen z with social media it's all in their faces But if we really get down to, like you asked, what is the awesome stuff? And this is, again, where it gets just pure and simple. What is that thing where you can feel in your body, you get excited? So people will tell me, you know what, I really want to, you know, buy this new watch. I want to get this new, you know, purse or this car or this house. And I don't really care if that's what they want. But I could tell by the way they just told me that's what they want. It's not their awesome stuff. Because that same person, when they start talking about a recent trip they did with their family or one of their favorite memories or, you know, the favorite item in their house, they start lighting up. And we know those people where they're like, they want to show you a collection or they want to show you something. They just, you can feel it. They lean in, their energy changes. And they're so passionate. They're so passionate. Right? Yeah. And so the awesome stuff is just starting to become more aware of what actually gives you that passion so Mm. then when you're looking at things rather than thinking of what you want or what you think you want or chasing something you compare it to that passion that feeling Mm. and then you can ask yourself is this something that's going to make me feel the same way and if the answer is no then that's probably not your awesome stuff and it's probably something that's not going to get you further towards happiness and what really makes you
0: happy so that's really interesting. It sounds like it's going to be different from one person to the next, right? Something that I might think is awesome or I'm passionate about, you may not be.
1: So it's it sounds like it's going to be unique to the individual of what, what's going to make mm-hmm. them. Work. And that's, I mean, just the fact that you notice that and that seems novel, that's, That's part of the problem. Like We're all so different. And we all think we want the same things. We all want the yacht. We all want the mansion. We all want three houses. We all want to travel. We all wish we had a million. 10 million, 100 million would be even better. Hmm. That's not true. We're all individuals and different. And if we can understand what truly makes us happy, as an individual, we'll get rid of all these negative feelings that we have towards money, like the shame and the envy and the jealousy and the comparison. I mean, all of that really is the media and external factors and has nothing to do with what actually makes us happy.
0: Mm, Yeah, and and social media doesn't make this easy because now you see everybody else flying around in private jets and with the expensive cars and the big homes. And you get that sense of like, well, I don't have enough. You know, Mm -hmm. I should have all that stuff too. Um, So I really like that focus that you're talking about is to focus and key in on what is the awesome stuff for you. And we do, we talked about cutting out the noise when it comes to investing education. Maybe we need to do the same thing when it comes to what do I really want in my life? And just sort of cut out the noise that's out there.
1: For sure. Like even if we took a simple scenario, like if you think about your closet full of clothes, like most of us have our favorite sweater or shirt or things that we wear all the time. And if we think more is better, so a big walk-in closet with, you know, 300 pairs of shoes or 1,000 shirts and just and we just take it to the extreme, we can't even find our favorite shirt. And all the rest of the stuff in there, we don't like as much anyway. And it's just a noise. And that's a good example of what's happening when we chase more. We forget about the things that we really love. I mean, if you have, you know, your two or three favorite shirts, that's probably going to bring you more joy than 100 shirts that aren't your favorite and you can't even find your favorite and now and this this takes us down that path of well now you need a bigger house to store more clothes and now you need to have all the clothes and then you can't find what you want now you're trying to figure out what decide what you're going to wear in the morning and it just we take this more to the extreme with just something like clothing and we can see how ridiculous it becomes and yet we're thinking well if we had 10 watches and 20 purses and 50 shoes and it's got to be better. And it just, it isn't better. It's its all distracting from the things you really love. Mm-hmm. And this
0: is so important because knowing the reason why you're investing, why are you trying to make So much money because I'll get a lot of emails all the time, right? People want to know, okay, what's the quickest way I can double my money in six months in the stock market? How do I triple (laughs) my money next week in the stock market? And, you know, and I'll get emails about what do you think about this stock or this stock versus this one? Which one's going to grow faster? And I think you're right because we get caught up in just wanting more, more dividends, Mm -hmm. more income, more capital gains. But for what? So that is so key is to understand the what for yourself. Uh, and I think it's, you kind of have to reverse engineer it. So what are the things that are important to me? Okay. How much do they cost? Okay. How much do I need? Well, then how much should I invest? And I think mm-hmm. you can live a more serene or peaceful life that
1: way, as opposed to being on this never ending treadmill. Mm-hmm. Well, and you'll start to notice things too, because it just makes you notice the inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. So an example would be if, What I want is more time with my kids. And to achieve that, I'm working harder, I'm spending more time at work, I'm buying more expensive things, and creating a lifestyle that has to be maintained by working harder and harder and harder, and it's creating more. That's actually not creating more time with my family, if that's what my awesome stuff is. And we see that all the time, where people will say, well, all I want is X and then you look at their actual actions and what they're pursuing and what they're buying and where they're spending their money. And they're not, it's not in line with what they want. And this is really important because you can start seeing for a lot of people, a lot of the things that might be your awesome stuff, like if it's hanging out with your friends, that doesn't actually, doesn't necessarily require money. It can, hanging out with your friends could be, we charter a private jet and we fly somewhere. Yeah. But it could also be we just you know get a bunch of friends over they all you know come to my house and we cook a dinner together or you know play a board game and it doesn't have to cost anything so understanding what you really want is interesting because then you can start seeing well how much noise is in there Taking go back to the private jet if it is the private if it's the friends not the private jet well now you have to get to the place and now you're traveling and you're doing all these other things you're not even spending time you're so busy trying to get to do whatever you're doing and you're missing the core so it's just understanding that core and it'll it'll shift the way you look at things and it doesn't mean that private chat's bad because i'm not saying that it's mm. just what what is the reason you want that and for some once you really sit on what that reason is you might realize that's actually not what you want mm-hmm
0: yeah. And it sounds like, David, you've done, you practice what you preach. Because before we hit the record button, we were chatting and you said you're semi-retired. And right, and you have been for a number of years. And you're, one of your key focuses was spending time with your kids and being able to do that. So, then why write this? We talked about why you, I understand why you wrote the book, but that's a lot of work, right? Why not just sit back on the beach somewhere and just relax? So, what was your motivation? What gets you passionate about this topic? What we're talking about today?
1: What gets you talking about this? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for that question because that's a great question. And you're right. I mean, this book wasn't motivated by money, there's way better ways to earn a living than writing a book. And and if anything, pushing this, uh, the book and writing the book and doing everything around it has been something that's cost money, not earn money. But for me, I just notice how important it is to just get some of these ideas out there that people aren't thinking about. Because right now, it's just getting more and more of an influence from that social media towards consumerism. And so... I love, like when I hear, for me, the awesome stuff is hearing a young kid reach out and say, oh, I always wanted, you know, I was bugging my parents for a brand new TV. I really want a new TV. And then realized the only reason I wanted a TV is because all my friends had one. And I actually don't even want a TV. And I mean, I love that. This isn't about doing without or saving like we've typically, you know, traditionally taught. This is, no, it's, it's not something I want. So then it removes all that jealousy in comparison and everything else and you could be happy for people who have the tv without the jealousy because it's just not your thing but you recognize for some people that is their thing mm. so yeah this is definitely just something i'm i'm passionate about and then quickly back to the semi-retired so that's a good point where it really i like i reached a point where i was spending more and more on the homes we were living in mm. and we we're spending more and more on travel and there was no end. So really, I think with most people, it's what we choose that's important, whether or not we need to keep earning more and growing. I mean, if I if I aspired to having more, I would have to work more. And instead, I love the freedom of being able to travel when I want, spend time with my kids, pursue a passion like this. And that's my awesome stuff.
0: That's great. That is fantastic. I mean... I think what you're teaching, what you're hoping to get through to kids, adults, everyone alike is it's a way to change the world, make the world a better place. Like if everyone kind of understood this about what is your awesome stuff, where are you starting from? I think that would make I maybe I'm an idealist. I think it would make the world a better place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'd love that. So like just simply what I'd love to see is if I think of a typical scenario of, say, like I talk about this a lot because it's just so simple, a child wanting an ice cream. And you've probably had that as well. You're at a fair and your kids are wanting an ice cream and they're having a, you know, a tantrum or begging. And as parents, if we don't want to get them the ice cream, we might say something like, it's too expensive. We can't afford it. Which isn't true. It really is. We choose not to get it for whatever reason. So I'd love to see, instead of like talk about making the world a better place instead of telling the kid we can't afford it or it's too expensive if we just said is that your awesome stuff and that same child just pausing taking a moment and just thinking to themselves is this my awesome stuff is this what i want and if that happened and that's how we taught our kids about money and financial literacy Yeah. yeah it would the idealist in me as well gets pretty excited
0: yeah, that is incredible. That's awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your background, David. Like, how did you get interested in talking about money, finances, investing? How did that all come about? Do you have a background
1: in accounting or economics or finance? How did you start? <laughs> it's funny. I mean, a lot of it's just sort of uh, self-interest. Like, I was when I was ten, I was reading finance books, mm-hmm. and back then. We didn't have access to ETFs and information like we do now. I remember buying every year they'd put out an annual book on mutual funds and advisors. And you could read about who the team was, how it had performed, how it had changed, what percentile they're in, and it would come out annually, all these like top fund books. And I would read them. And this is something I'd read when I was, you know, grade six, grade seven. I just love that stuff. and then later as an adult sort of as a, as a side thing just because i had so many friends in the field that kept encouraging me i did go in and pursue a financial advising career as well but really more as a hobby and a passion and i started investing in real estate when i was in my 20s and i've i've just i've just loved all this stuff but again when i want to talk about my the same stuff to my kids i realized how i love this stuff but really if if i'd simply just invested like even like you talk about dividend investing if you picked a good blue chip dividend stock and you just invested in it in your 20s and then in your 40s you're still doing the same thing that would have so much more of an impact than you know looking for the best hottest fund Trying to, like you said, try to double your money in six months. What's the hot stock in and out, in and out? No, it's, you know, imagine if you'd invested in, you know, Microsoft for the last 20 years and that's it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, uh, I just want to add to what you're saying, right? Like chasing the latest IPO, the latest, you know, Bitcoin or whatever <laughs> the hottest topic is of, of the day. Um, that doesn't, you might get lucky, but that's, the chances of that happening are extremely low. And for the majority of folks, you end up losing a lot of money. So the key is to stay consistent. Now you've talked about like starting early. What if somebody bought Microsoft years ago, decades ago, and just sat on it? Yeah. Why is it so important for folks to start investing early? Why not wait till you're in your 40s and 50s? And when you do have a lot of money, why should yeah. you start earlier? <laughs>
1: so it's that compounding effect and so i like to think because especially if we're on a a show like this where the audience they're all investors and so you think of like one of our better you know all-time investors like a warren buffett and if you think of your money doubling every seven to ten years which you know at a ten eight ten percent return that's what you're going to see so someone like a warren buffett who we consider one of the best investors of our time all of those decisions he's made his entire life, he's going to double his net worth over the next seven years. Wow. I and never
0: thought of it that way.
1: That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. So all the decisions he's made hmm. over the next seven years, he'll be worth twice as much hmm. if he just left it in the stock market and didn't touch it. Hmm. So that's the thing is it, it grows exponentially. So if you think of, you know, $10 or $100 or $1000 doubling over 7 or 10 years, it doesn't feel that big. Mm-hmm. But someone like Warren Buffett, he's just been investing for so long. That's how his fortune's growing. I mean, his actual returns aren't that high, but his net worth is incredible. And if you imagine as rich as he is, all things, you know, all things equal moving forward, that net worth will probably double again in the next seven to 10 years. Hmm.
0: That is a a fantastic example. A great example for for folks who are just starting out to invest. And even for folks who are in their 30s or 40s who might be just waiting at the sidelines because they're still waiting for the next great market opportunity, right? And they're like, well, I'm not going to invest just yet. I don't know what's going to happen with the stock market. Inflation's too high. Interest rates are too high. So I'm just going to wait. What would you say to those folks who are scared or fearful of investing today and they just want to wait?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is there's so much fear in it. And if you're chasing, like if you're just to make one purchase today and that's it for the rest of your life, I don't know if it's the timing's right or the stock's right. But if you're going for the averages instead, so you're investing over time. So now you don't have to worry about timing the market. And if instead of your, are you know, picking one individual stock, you spread it out. So now you're not worrying on one company. Those averages, like that's the thing is don't try to beat the stock market. That's a really difficult thing to do. If you're just trying to gain the average, that's something that most of us can achieve. And then back to why wait. Traditionally, we're getting like, you know, eight, 10% returns. If we're looking at a 10% return, so this is not you Outperforming. This is just you sort of going for the average of that market. And I start today, and I started investing, you know, ten thousand every month or a hundred thousand a year, whatever. Month. It doesn't matter. It's all relative. And I did that for the next seven years, and then I stopped and never invested another cent. And then you started in seven years investing the same amount. How many years would it take for you to catch up to me when I've stopped? That's a great question.
0: Um, I'm just going to take a wild guess because I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. 14, 18 years just to catch up to where you
1: are. I don't know. Yeah. If you're earning 10% within those seven years, your money's already earning more than you're contributing. Wow. You would never catch up.
0: Never. That is incredible. Wow. Okay.
1: So So, for anyone
0: listening (laughs) on the sidelines, because that's an important thing to know is like, don't don't wait. And uh, I'm going to reiterate what you just said, David. There's no perfect time to know when to invest, right? I don't know what's going to happen in the stock market next week, next month, or next year. But if we look at the averages, and like you said, we're not, even as dividend investors, we don't try, we're not trying to beat the market. Just get the averages. And our focus is, of course, the dividend income. And that's what mm-hmm. we want to do is, see if we can increase our dividend income as safely as possible without taking too much risk. Uh, Then I guess the message
1: is to get started. doesn't matter what age you're at, like just start. Get started. Well, if you think about that, I think it would be safe to say if the market continues the way it has over seven to 10 years and you start investing, that contribution will be repeating itself through your investment. So all of a sudden, it, that that whole machine is starting. Whether you stop or not, that's happening, and it's going to start growing. And if you think that's, and if that happened in seven to 10 years, that means in the next seven to 10 years, that's going to double again. Hmm. And yeah. then over the next seven to 10 years, then that's going to double again. So now, now you're not at twice, now you're at four times, then eight times, and 16 times. It, it grows fast. But in the first, you know, one to three years, even the first seven years, it might not feel like much. Mm -hmm. And so that time, that time's important. Go back to the Warren Buffett story. If he started seven years later, his net worth would be half of what it is now. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that is powerful. (laughs) If you put it that way, that's (laughs) the numbers are staggering. And that is extremely Mm -hmm. powerful message. Yeah. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Why, and I don't know if you have the answer, I'm going to ask you anyway, because I don't have the answer. I thought about this. Why do they, why isn't this taught in schools? And I'm talking about elementary and high schools. Why mm-hmm. isn't this basic understanding of money, uh, our relationship with money, financial literacy,
1: and investing? Why don't they cover this stuff in in schools? Yeah, so when I first started this journey, I was thinking exactly the same thing. and thought, look, we just need to teach financial literacy. But what I've realized in talking about it more is that money is such a tricky subject because we have so much emotion tied up into it. Mm-hmm. So our own personal views start clouding how we teach money. So it becomes something that would be very difficult to just roll out because not everyone has the same relationship with money. And that's why when I'm talking about it, even when I talk about like the awesome stuff, with no judgment around it so often people are like well that's a stupid thing to buy or you don't save enough so you must be bad or you wasted money on this like we we start f- just adding too much emotion and feeling and shame and secrecy around money and so the more we just talk about it and just talk about it in a way where it's easy to talk like there there is no this is what you have to do or if you don't do this, you're bad. It would make a big difference. And back to, you know, something like the compound growth, I get a lot of pushback on compound growth because there are people that believe investments themselves are bad. Mm-hmm. Because if you invest, you're just going to lose your money and it's it's dangerous and it's reckless. And again, if we take that emotion out and just think of like what you're actually doing and if you're not chasing the next big thing, you're looking at like the entire us or north american economy as a whole that's a whole different way to think about investing than some people where they're like well no i know someone who bought this stock and it went to zero and they lost everything and i'll never invest again and so yeah we really need to just have conversations with the teachers as well where we take away some of the the myths around this and and make it something that's accessible where people aren't scared and And it doesn't feel like it's risky and same with the timelines like you said i don't if you invest today i don't know if you'll have more money in a year over a 10 or 20 year period though it gets a little bit easier for me to predict and the chances so that's what we got to start talking about as well like most times anytime someone talks about like invest in you know bitcoin or the new thing we rarely pair it with a timeline And that's really important. And so people are thinking, well, okay, like I want to invest in this. This is a good investment. I don't know if it's a good investment until I know the time frame that we're talking.
0: Yeah, no, that is so, so important. And that is a great way to, I've asked a lot of people that question. Why don't they teach us in schools? <laughs> and so you've had a great, that's a great answer. I think that is a great answer. And that might be the, the reason why, because there's so much emotion involved in there. And, uh, Believe it or not, I'm gonna just throw that in there. Are, are 12 rules of simply investing? The last rule, number 12, is keep your emotions out of investing. That's <laughs> that's number 12. That's the last rule. Yeah. Um, and that is so key. Like emotions are it's it's hard to get away from because this is your hard-earned cash, right? Mm-hmm. Whether you're putting it into an RRSP or a TFSA or a 401k, or you've got an employer matching program, it's still your money. You've worked hard for it. And that's where a lot of the fear comes out of. And it's like like you said, people will say like, well, I I know a a cousin who bought a stock and it went down to zero and they lost $10,000. And that just creates so much fear around. It paralyzes people and then they don't Mm -hmm. want to invest at all. And I think keeping your money in a check savings account is not going to help either because inflation is going to eat away at it.
1: Well, and if we could at least like what I'm trying to do is if we could at least show these illustrations Mm -hmm. so that people can see what we're talking about and what this would actually look like and start realizing that all this, like this network that we see around or these people with all this, this money, like you can't save your way to that amount of wealth. You just can't like savings don't grow. Mm -hmm. And so like I mentioned that whole idea of like, if I started saving for seven years and stopped, if it's invested well, that savings continues growing at the same pace, whether I stop or not. Hmm. But if it was just purely saving, it wouldn't. It would stop and that would be it. And I would have seven years worth of savings and it would never grow. And I don't think people who don't understand investing fully recognize what they're missing out on. The, the loss that they're thinking of is just that savings amount. But that opportunity cost is so much bigger, especially if we're talking to young kids and they've got, you know, a 40 year time horizon. It's it's massive. And I think that's the thing is we just don't understand what that opportunity cost is. And it's massive. Yeah, And you take a Warren Buffett, if we just think of what he's earned in his life, hmm. there's no way he would have the like he, he, just, he could not be a billionaire. He couldn't be worth a hundred million. Hmm. And so that opportunity cost is bigger than people really take into account. And that's why all they're thinking about is the loss of their savings. But that opportunity cost needs to be taken into consideration.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm gonna throw in their inflation because I had a, a young individual a couple of years ago and he said, well, I'm not putting it in the stock market because it's like gambling. And I've got 20,000 saved up. I'll just keep it in a savings account. But think about that in 10 years, Sure, the 20000 is still going to be there, but it's not going to be worth $20,000. You factor in 10 years worth of inflation, and now you've actually lost money, right? It might be yeah. worth, I don't know, $17,000, 16000 maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's, you're missing out on the compound growth, and inflation is going to eat away uh, at it as well. Um, so what does, uh, David, what does
1: financial freedom mean to you? hmm so for me and this is and i talk about it in the book so that first lesson of the awesome stuff like what lights you up what gets you really excited once you really start sticking with that idea and what what really brings you joy you'll start realizing a lot of it a lot of times it's experiences and it's freedom to do the things you love freedom Hmm. to spend the time with the people you love choose a job you love and so financial freedom to me is just choice and that's, that's all it is, is being able to choose what you want to do without money being a massive factor in that decision. Ideally, it wouldn't be a factor at all. And as soon as money stops being a factor in your decisions of how you live your life, to me, that's true financial freedom.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. That's great. Um, now, one of the golden rules uh, you mentioned earlier uh, in this episode here was you have to give to get more. And I noticed in your in the book and even on your website, it says you're giving away twenty percent of the proceeds to charity. So why would you do that? and which charity is it?
1: <laughs> so the charity is give directly, and they do like micro loans for people in developing countries. And it's one of those things where this is actually one of the harder lessons for me to get behind, because being a money nerd, I've always viewed money a little bit differently, but also really understood the value of it. So giving it away feels feels very counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. But what I've found, and there's research behind it, there's so many ways that giving makes you richer. I mean, the simplest is just how you feel and creating that energy. And we all know people that, you know, we want to help help because they're so kind and giving. We just they just give off this energy. We see them help in the community. We know they've helped others, and we want to help them. So there's just that energy itself, and you can feel that. Let alone how you feel personally as you give. And the reality is, is a lot of these things, energy does have, or sorry, money does have a bit of an energy to it. And so there is a bit of that flow. And so I've noticed that the more the more i give the more that comes back it's really as simple as that yeah no that is uh, that is great and it's something
0: for our audience to think about as well because we have a, a number of people in the audience who are dividend investors who have been investing for a long time and then what do you do with all of that dividend income right of course you're going to use it to cover your living expenses you might be semi retired you might be retired you might still be working but then to consider helping others. And I think that's what you're doing, David. You're setting the example. You talk about it in the book as one of the golden rules, and then you're actually doing it yourself, which is fantastic, uh, to, to, to be able to help others. That is incredible. Um, David, where can people find out more information about you if they want to get in touch with you? How do they buy the book? Uh, give us some of that information.
1: Yeah. So information on the book and that community is all under the awesome stuff. So theawesomestuff.com, Instagram's the awesome stuff, TikTok's the awesome stuff. And it's because that movement I'm trying to create. Uh, in terms of speaking, public speaking, they can find me at daviddelisle.com. And I'll have information there if they'd like me to come and speak at their school or their community or the conference. And for me, just sharing this message, I, it gets me so excited. So so definitely, if, if anyone wants to reach out, I'm happy happy to talk to them.
0: Okay, that is incredible. We'll put all of the links uh, down below in uh, the description uh, for our podcast. Uh, David, I enjoyed reading the book. I encourage everyone to go out and get it, whether you have kids or not. Like I said, this is for young and old. Uh, You will learn a lot from it. It is Rich Dad, Poor Dad meets Calvin and Hobbes. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, So it's a great book. Uh, Thank you so much, David, for taking the time out today to to talk to us and talk to our audience. Uh, I
1: really appreciate it. Thanks so much. This is a lot of fun. And like I said, I love talking about this stuff, especially with people who are already into investing because it just, those habits and the mindset pieces are the, those are the things we often overlook and it's so important.
0: Yeah, That is awesome. Thanks for being here, David. Thank
1: you.